Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. I want you to, if you will today, join me in the book of Jeremiah chapter 6. The book of Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse number 16. And I'm going to give you my title and hopefully, if it doesn't make sense, now we can maybe pull that into focus before we dismiss here today. We welcome all of our guests. Thank you for being with us in this service. And we want to encourage you to hang around. And we're going to be serving dinner afterward in our dining hall. And we just hope you'll join us not only for dining on the word, but dining on some good home-cooked food as well. Jeremiah chapter number 6 and verse number 16. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Amazing, isn't it? The Lord gives the antidote. Here's, here's what you can do. But they said, we will not walk therein. I want to speak to you this morning from this subject, simply this, someone to lead the way. Someone to lead the way. Amen. God bless you and you can be seated. Thank you for your worship and your attention to the presence of the Lord today. This past Wednesday night, I spoke briefly about people that stand at an intersection in their lives or a fork in the road. Many times in Bible studies, and that was the emphasis this past Wednesday as I was talking about, many times as people are taking a journey through a Bible study, whether um, that is a home Bible study or whatever the, uh, the method may be, there's a moment of revelation. There's a moment that truth begins to shine in our heart and, and lives, and you have to do something with truth. Because truth is truth whether we accept it or not. You've got to deal with truth. I spoke about that critical moment where someone stands and they have to make that decision. Those decisions, of course, are weighty decisions because those decisions have eternity connected to it. And so I have heard people say through the years, not just trying to make a rhyme, but it's true, eternity is too long to be wrong. And so I want to make sure that my peace call and election is sure. So if we consider this morning the allegory that is used in verse number 16, we can see that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, with uh, not just uh, parchment in hand and words, but he sort of draws a word picture again in our minds. Here's a traveler that comes to a particular place, a specific place in the road a place that divides several paths. There are many ways to look here. I mean, he said, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. 
You're in a place of uh, an intersection. You're a place of decision. And so as we look at our text today, we're reminded of a time in Israel's history when uh, that was very much like the day we're living in today. You know, the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. And so we have faced many times and many seasons like the day that we're standing in today. We find Israel in a place of complacency and if we could just say spiritual laziness in their devotion to God. And they had grown cold and indifferent. They sought not just what somebody would tell them as the truth, but they sought prophets that would say what they wanted to hear and tell them that everything is well. And that certainly matches the hour in which we live, isn't it? And doesn't it? Because people want somebody to just tell them something pleasant. They would love for church to be nothing more than just a feel-good session, and it should feel good to be in the presence of the Lord. But again, there's some irrevocable truths that have eternity in the balances, and we have to weigh against that. Simply looking for somebody to just tell you what you want to hear. Sometimes we need to hear what we need to hear way more than we need to hear what we want to hear. Because what I need to hear may have life or death associated to it. And so I want to be careful and cautious. I think that it is common to see people in this mindset today. The Apostle Paul warns us of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 3. Because it's here Paul said that the time will come. Well they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap themselves Teachers having itching ears. They're, they don't want anything to be sound. Don't be, don't be too direct. Don't be too blunt. Amen. But I'm going to promise you if you're facing life or death, you want a doctor that's going to look you in the eyes and say, here's what we're facing and here's how we can attack it. If you're standing in a court of law, you don't want a lawyer just glad-handing you saying everything's going to be all right when he knows you're fixing to go over the edge. You're going to need somebody that'll say, here's where, we're, here's where we are and here's what we're facing and here is how we can attack that. Israel had already done this. Jeremiah 6 and 17 says, also I set watchmen over you saying, hearken, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. Now this is, verse 17 is the first following our text this morning. I read chapter 6 and verse 16, but now verse 17 also I set watchmen over you saying hearken to the sound of the trumpet but they said we will not hearken. Now that's a frightening thing to consider that God has said I've given you two plans of actions and one of them says we're not going to hear, we're not going to hearken, we're just not going to do that. We're just going to stand and do whatever we want to do. In verse number 17 whenever God it's talking about ministers appointed to blowing the trumpet. Uh, that's not talking about just a musical instrument for the sake of entertainment. This is not a praise and worship service that he is referring to. But when the Bible talks about trumpets, the, the, there's, a, there's, there's always a, a serious denotation behind that. He meant if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, in other words, the scripture says, if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare themselves to the battle. A trumpet is going to sound and it's going to be the 
the, the note, notation that this life is over. Amen. I'm going to tell you today that when you talk about and hear about the sounding of the trumpet, when he said you need to listen for the sounding of the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet, but they said we will not hearken. What God was really trying to do is say I've appointed somebody over you, place somebody in your life or in your path to blow the trumpet. In other words, they're going to tell it like it is, tell you the truth in love, but they're going to tell it like it is, but they said, but we will not hearken. Verses 16 and 17, the summary is clear. They said, here's the path. You need to walk, choose the old paths. They said, we're not going to walk in that path. And then he said, you need to hear the sounding of the trumpet. But they said, we're not going to listen to the sounding of the trumpet. Nevertheless, they continued to bring to God praise and worship. But it was hypocritical praise and worship. Because you can't just be in here today, clapping your hands, lifting your hands and your voice in adoration to God. You and I can't do that. And then just walk out of this building and live any way we want to live, do whatever we want to do, and think that what we've offered to God has been pure and sanctified. And so for this reason, Jeremiah prophesies God's judgment over Israel. Even though judgment was on horizon, on the, their horizon, his loving nature, true to his nature, God was providing counsel to Israel, reaching one more time. I'm thankful to be serving a God of grace. My Lord, I'm thankful to be serving a God of grace. They were facing imminent judgment, but the Lord said, but here's a couple of things you can do that could turn that judgment around. He gives them directions on how to correct their wrongs. He likens his directions as a traveler standing at the crossroads, attempting to decide, should I go left or should I go right? And God gives them clear instructions. He said, what you need to choose is the old path. What you need to choose is a path that's proven, a path that many have walked before you. You need to try something that's already been proven. These old paths of godliness and the old paths of righteousness of God has always been blessed and it's always been prospered. Once chosen Israel was to walk in those paths. In other words, they were to listen to the voice of God and make a practical application about the decisions that they're making that's going to affect their lives every day. I pray the, the hand of God would help us to understand how imperative it is that what we are today, we are every day. And what we are here, we are everywhere. Not a chameleon blending in to the church crowd and blending in to the world crowd. Not a chameleon that can change its values. No, faith without works is dead if it's left alone. I've got to see, hear the word of God, the whole counsel of the word of God. And then I've got to walk in that counsel. I've got to walk in that counsel when I'm in a crowd. I've got to walk in that counsel when I'm all alone. I've got to walk in that counsel when I'm in a collective corporate house of worship. And I've got to walk in that counsel when I'm just standing on my job or wherever it may be. I've got to do that. Israel but Israel, as we see in our text, refused. They said, we're not going to walk in that path and we're not going to hear the trumpet when it sounds. They would not walk therein. That sounds frighteningly familiar, doesn't it? And so we need to ask ourselves a few questions, perhaps, concerning the backdrop of the day in which we live. What do, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? What do I need to do 
to get back to the old paths in my life? What do I need to do to get back the old paths in my home? And what do I need to do to get the old paths back in the church? Amen. What can we do to assure that God's judgment doesn't fall on me like it did Israel? Amen. I believe there are some proactive things that you and I can do. I believe that we can say, Lord, I'm going to cast this in. I'm going to readjust my compass. I'm going to reset the sail and the spiritual barometer of my life. I want to I want to get back into the flow of your spirit. Amen. I want to bring the power of God back in my life. Listen. Amen. I'm not happy with where I am spiritually versus where I was Wednesday night. I want to keep reaching and keep pressing. And so if I'm not feeling that today, amen, I don't want to just continue to drift. I want to let the spirit of God Enlighten my eyes. David said in Psalms 13 and 3, Enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. In other words, shake me and wake me and don't let me go to sleep at the wheel and drift back into a place, amen, where I perhaps used to be or a place that I don't ever want to be. I want the power of God alive in my heart and in my life. We were singing about it a moment ago that anything can happen. Anything can happen when God steps into the room and that's why we're not talking about today when God steps into the room as into the church just the church where this is the only place that can that God can move but I want to tell you that anything can happen when God steps in our home anything can happen when God steps in our heart anything can happen when God walks into this place hallelujah hallelujah amen I think one of the things that is imperative is that we must fall in love again if we've fallen out of love or fall in love for the first time with the pure word of God. Amen. Fall in love with the word of God. I I know it seems tonight or today that we may be kind of a throwback type message if you please but I just want to say something that the church was born through preaching and prayer. It was the word of God the power of preaching and the power of prayer. Many times, I'm not saying that we should try to get back to where I'm talking about right now, but many times those that were preaching the gospel were illiterate. Some could not even read or write, but God used them mightily to plant the seed of the word of God. Obviously, you know, I'm not promoting ignorance, but what I'm trying to say is this, that that sometimes we're depending on programs and systems and strategies and we're, we're, we're depending on some kind of organizational effort to just push us over the top. But I say that there are men and women and not a few and perhaps even in this house today that just needs to say, Lord, let me fall back in love with your word. Amen, let me fall back in love with your word. And if somebody's preaching about it or no, if it's in your word that's what I want to apply to my life I don't want to just live something because it's a checklist I don't want to just live a certain way because there's a level of expectation amen from man I want to live a certain way because your word declares it to be true your word declares it to be right amen and I have got to understand that the word of God is the only rule of faith And it is the only practice. Some may try to conclude, they'll, you know, I've heard many, many arguments about the Bible and Scripture. And some would try to conclude, well, you know, since the Bible was written by men, therefore it must contain errors because men or mankind 
are prone to mistakes. Now, I think these views can be prevalent among a lot of people today, but that because they're prevalent doesn't make them correct. Psalms 12 and 6, the Bible says, the words of the Lord are pure words. Even as silver is tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. We know that the word of God was not the whimsical desires of men. Hallelujah. God, did God use man to write them? Yes, he did. But they wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So it wasn't just a man whimsically thinking, well, I think this is what I'll say today. Or I think this is what I'll say tomorrow. We know that these two verses, from these two verses in Psalms, that the word is perfectly pure. We also know that God himself is the one that's gonna preserve his word, not man. Proverbs 30 and five states, every word of God is pure. Every word that Jesus states, we are to live by in Matthew four and four. And we can rest assured that we have the exact word of God. In Matthew chapter five and verse number 18, Jesus was this specific. He said not one of the word. He said not one jot or tittle will pass away. Now I realize those are not words that we use in our modern language today and so that may not make a lot of sense to us but here's what Jesus was saying. A jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet and he said so the smallest letter, the most insignificant letter is not going to pass away. The word tittle means the very smallest thing it re and it refers to not just an alphabet or not a letter but it's talking about the detail of the law. And so he said not, not the smallest letter of the alphabet is gonna fail and not the smallest reference to the law is gonna fail. Hallelujah, that sounds pretty specific to me. It's a sure word. Isaiah 40 and eight says that the word of God will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God is gonna stand. Amen, God's word is life giving, but can I tell you that God's word is also life changing. Am I preaching to anybody that's had your life changed by the word of God. Oh, life giving, yes, yes. But it's life changing. The word of God changes how I think. The word of God can change how I live. The word of God can change how I walk. The word of God can, it's an element, it's a change element. It, something happens when the word of God is pulled into our heart and our mind. Oh, never think that the Bible is just a book on morality. Amen, don't ever think a Bible is just a, a few principles about how we ought to live and treat one another. Amen, oh, those truths are bound up in it for sure, but the Bible is not just a book of morality. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, the word is reconciliation. In Philippians 2 and 16, the word, he said, is life. In 1 Timothy 4 and 6, the word is faith. In Hebrews 1 and 3, the word is power. In 2 Peter 2 and 19, it is, a, it is a sure word of prophecy. So don't just think the Bible is a book, a novel that's taken up room on your shelf. Don't just think the Bible is just somewhere we can turn in a crisis and find a little bit of comfort. But I tell you today that this word is alive. It's a real seed. Amen. This book is not to be taken for granted. And the power of the pages is not something that we should just set to the side or brush away. 
and said, I will, I will do this today or I won't do this tomorrow. This is not our decision. This is the irrevocable, infallible. It is the unbending, unyielding word of God. I'm thankful, I'm thankful for his word. Amen. In this word, in this word lies some old paths. And we gotta reclaim the pure word of God. I think it is very important today that we understand the value of correct biblical doctrine. And there are a lot of people that want to do away with doctrine. And the reason they say that is because they don't understand what doctrine is. Because if we said, well, we really love this building, but we'd like to do away with the foundation. We love the shingles and we love the brick and we love the color of the wall. We love the color of the carpet, but we just got to get rid of this foundation. And just what you are trying to say is that if we do away with the foundation, everything that you think you love is going to fall down because it's the foundation that's holding everything up. And so when we talk about people that are wanting to minimize doctrine and say, well, we're just going to water this down and take this away, that's a dangerous thing when you start pulling out the very thing that's holding it all together and holding it all up. And so we are hearing today more and more religion, not religion of direct preaching or teaching, but religion of more and more tolerance. The, the world is trying to press against the church unless you're living under a rock, unless you've been in a cave for the last several years Amen, you know what I'm talking about is true. That the world position and the world view is that the church ought to get more and more tolerant and we ought to make room for this and we ought to make room for that. And if you don't, then somehow or another, you, you, you're, a, you're, you're committing some sort of crime. In many places, it is a crime. We didn't think we would live long enough, many of us in this room, to see what I'm preaching about today. But you know it's true. Many of our good Canadian brothers today are, 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 are in jeopardy of preaching some things from their pulpit because of things becoming hate crimes and things of that nature. I'm gonna tell you that if we don't think that this cloud is blowing in our direction, then we have our head buried in the sand and the church has got to stand. It, isn't it amazing? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we're to tolerate every wind of doctrine. We should tolerate every new idea or every new fad or every new lifestyle that comes down. But it's amazing, isn't it, that while the church is expected to tolerate everything that comes along, there seems to be a zero tolerance against what the church has been standing on for years, amen, for decades, for centuries, amen. And so, no, we need to tolerate everything that's going on out there, but there's no tolerance to the pulpit, amen, a zero tolerance for the word of God. Oh, I say, God, help us today to realize there is a truth. Amen, there's a right, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is destruction. I need somebody to help me stand today, not just in this service, not just during this message, but I need men and women that'll say, you know what, we're gonna stand on the word of God, but somebody has gotta lead the way. Somebody has gotta say, I am gonna do more than sing about this. I'm gonna do more than amen about this. I'm gonna do more than shout about this. But when the lights of the building are turned out and when the musical instruments are all put away and when there's nobody in the building, I'm still gonna be living it. I'm still gonna be saying, Lord, your word is true. 
Your word is the, in, the only infallible thing in this world. Your word. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Mm, hallelujah. John 14 and 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus didn't say I'm one of many ways. I'm one of few ways. I'm an option along the way. But Jesus said, I am the only way. And there is no way to come. There is no way to get there except through me. He stated emphatically, I am the only way. We live in a world where people are trying to say of eternity, you just do what you want to do and live like you want to live and believe like you want to believe and we'll do what we want to do, live like we want to live, believe what we want to believe and, and then somehow or another we're going to mystically morph all into the same place. You need to hear a preacher that'll love you enough this morning to say you to say to you, there is a way to get to heaven. There is a way and that way is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, there is one way. There is one way. There is one way. We must reclaim correct biblical doctrine. In Acts 2 and 42, the early church was successful not because of their programs, but they were successful because they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Ephesians 4 and 14, the Bible says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness where they lie in wait to deceive. We can't let everything that comes our way shift us off the foundation. We've got to stand. Our doctrine, biblical doctrine is the foundation for belief and wrong doctrine leads to wrong ideas and ideals and worldviews. And so we've got to take a stand on correct biblical doctrine. We've got to revive those old paths. Amen, those old paths. First Samuel 6 and 7, 16 rather and 7, the Bible says, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now this is a passage of scripture that I think deserves examination from both sides. Amen. Because there's a lot of people when it talks about their lifestyle and, and how they live every day, they will quote that scripture, say, well, the, you know, the Lord's looking on the heart and not on the outside. I get that. But now let's turn that page over and realize that God is the only one that can look at the heart. But God's not the only one looking. The other side of the page should remind us that yes, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart, he's the only one that can see what's on the heart. But don't forget that man looketh on the outward appearance. Man looketh on the outward appearance. Amen, man can't see what God sees, he can only see what's on the outside. Amen, so there's a world that is looking for the church to model what Christianity ought to be. There ought to be a change in our lifestyle. There ought to be a change in our conversation. There ought to be a change in our walk, our talk. There ought to be a change in our belief. There ought to be a change in how we conduct ourselves. Amen. There ought to be a, a change because somebody's looking, somebody's watching. 
I don't want you to take the word model out of context here. I don't think there's any perfect, anyone perfect here today. Amen. I don't think there's ever been or ever will be any one perfect, but I believe that we must display actions and attitudes of Jesus Christ outwardly. Amen, because, because they can't see our heart. Man can't see our heart. Man can't see our motives. Man can't see our intentions. He can't read our thoughts. But I'll tell you what man can do. Man can look at you and man can say there's something different. Amen, there's something different. There's absolutely something different about how you're walking and how you're talking and how you're living. Amen, because faith without works is dead and so if we're going to bring life to our life if we're, if we're going to bring life we're going to have to bring life to our lifestyle amen let Jesus be a part of it I want to let Jesus be able to sit down at the table of any conversation I'm having I want to let Jesus sit across the table the desk from any business transaction I'm making I want to let Jesus be a part of whatever it is I want him to be a part of that you can sit right here I will tell you that Jesus can ride in the car with me and Jesus can sit on the sofa with me and Jesus can lie in the bed with me. Amen. Why? Because my life has been changed. Not just a tongue talking moment. Not just a watery moment in a pool of baptism. But it was kept changing. It kept changing when I got dry. It kept changing when I stopped speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. Because God's word and his power got in the fiber of my soul. Praise God. And so we cannot allow the church to succumb to the pressure of our world's view. Praise the Lord. Everybody all right? Amen. I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of the Song of Solomon. There's a lot of warnings when it comes to the teaching, preaching out of the book of Song of Solomon. And I'm not going to take the time to read all of this verse by verse. So I'm going to give you an overview of verse number one. And I just want you to stay with me. Will you promise you'll not stop listening until I'm done? Amen. I've often said when I'm coming up to the pulpit to preach, especially in other places if you're not known, that uh, there's a couple things at play. And I'll say that, that you know, I've come to this desk today with, with a, a responsibility. And you have come into the house with a responsibility. I've come to teach or preach the word of the Lord and you've come to hear the word of God and our goal is that we finish at the same time. Amen. And so I don't want to finish preaching until before you finish listening. Amen. And please don't finish listening until I'm finished preaching. Praise God. You know, I could have just said that. And <laughs> saved about four minutes of all that detail, right? <laughs> But here, here is an overview of, of, of Solomon, the Song of Solomon, chapter 1. In verses 1 through 5, there's an expression of the bride's love for her spouse. And then in verses 6 and 7, she confesses her unworthiness and her desire to be directed by the flock. And I think this is important because... This is the meat, so to speak, of what we're talking about here today. And then in verse number 8, she is directed to the shepherd's tent. And then in verses 9 through 17, the bridegroom describes how he will provide for her. However, it's somewhere in the middle of this, of this chapter that I want to draw your attention because 
as we get to the middle of this chapter, the bride starts describing herself and she describes her unworthiness. And then she compares herself to the bridegroom. And so when you're reading Solomon, the Song of Solomon chapter one, you have to understand that this is a conversation between the bride and the bridegroom. And so if you just start reading it and speed read through it, you may miss the fact that this is a conversation. Is that fair? So if we look at the Song of Solomon chapter one and verse number five, and we're gonna read a few scriptures here. The bride says, of the, uh, says this, she said, I am black but comely. O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of, of Cater, as the curtains of Solomon, look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children, or in other words, her siblings, my mother's children were angry with me and they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest the flock to rest at noon, for why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? And so now the conversation shifts to the groom, and this is the groom's response. If thou know not, O thou fairest among women. Now listen, that's not how she described herself. That's not how she thought of herself. But this is how the groom said, Thou fairest among women. Go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. Now the conversation comes back to the bride. She says, I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses and Pharaoh's chariots. Thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels, thy neck with chains of gold. So if you will, listen how she describes herself and then how she describes the bridegroom. In verses number five and six, she describes herself as being black. But then she explains the blackness because she said, my siblings, they have forced me out into the sun to work day after day after day. What she was really trying to say was not about the color of her skin, but it was about the hard life that she had lived. And because I have worked out in the elements, Day after day after day, it has taken a toll on my skin. It has taken a toll on my body. Amen. I, you know this, this is true. Many people that have spent their lifetime, their vocation out in the sun, it does take a toll. Many times they are suffering from skin cancers and things of that nature because being out in the elements has taken a toll. And so she wasn't talking about color here. She was talking about what the sun, what she had been exposed to and how it changed her. Amen, this gives the appearance she is saying, I have lived a hard life. I've lived and I've made my way through life and it's been a tough and long journey. And then she describes the bridegroom in verses nine and 10, a company of horses and Pharaoh chariots. He, she said, your cheeks were comely with rows of jewels. Amen, so when I look at me and then I look at you, I see such a very 
uh, such a such a huge contrast between where I am when I look in the mirror and what I see when I look at you. Amen. So I just want you to look at this, if you will, and see what she is pointing out. She is asking some very important questions, and she is talking about things that are pertinent to her life. Her plea was that she said, I have been weather beaten and I have been worn and now I come into your presence and in your presence you are comely or you are beautiful, you are handsome and you are bedecked with jewels. Do you get those two word pictures? I mean, life's been pretty hard on me. Life has been pretty tough on me and it shows in my body. Amen, my back may be bowed by the years of work and my skin burned by this rain of the sun day in and day out. Hallelujah. And so now she has placed two word pictures for us to deal with. And so her real question was this, not just to describe herself and not just to describe him, not to just compare themselves among themselves, but her real question was this, tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, she said this, where thou feedest and where thou makest thy flocks rest at noon. Now stay with me. We're here in the King James a little while, but just stay with me. I'm gonna pull this out if the Lord will help me. Amen, we have, number one, we gotta keep this question in context of the era. Amen, that makes no sense to us today. I doubt, unless somebody's just goofing around later, anybody's gonna ask me where I'm gonna feed the flocks and where I make the flocks rest at noon. Amen, but she asked a pertinent question in her day. She asked a very meaningful question. As a matter of fact I believe the context or the spirit of that question is still being asked today by thousands of people and some may ask it this very morning. People may not be asking where we're going to feed the sheep or where we're going to let them rest at noonday but I'll tell you what people are doing. They're still walking into the house of God and they feel the presence of the Lord and in the spirit of holiness and in the atmosphere of righteousness they see what life in sin has done to them. Amen. And they see the joy and the expression of hope in your heart. Amen. Do you see the picture now? She came into the presence of the bridegroom and said, when I got in your presence, I realized that the sun has been hard on me. I realized the life I'm living has taken a toll on me. But I believe in churches all across America and around the globe today, there are men and women that are gonna walk in and they feel the presence of God and they feel the righteousness of God and they see joy in your heart. They, they watch you clap your hands and lift your hands. Hallelujah. They know you've done more than memorize the words of the song. They know you've done more than figure out how to clap on time. They see something and they sense something and then all of a sudden they look at themselves and say sin has been hard on me and sin has taken me down a path I never thought I would go down and so they're saying how do I clean myself up? How do I turn? How do I get out of the mess I'm in? How? Hallelujah. My Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm saying here today. Amen. Amen. They're not asking us where we're feeding sheep. They're not asking us where we're watering sheep. Amen. But they're saying, how can I get my family back together? And how can I get my mind back? 
How can I break the vice of drugs? How can I break the vice of alcoholism? When I look at me and I look at you, I see such contrast. I say, how can I change? How can I change it? Amen. How can I change? How can I change? That's the question that the world is asking today. That's the question. Amen. They sense a difference. And that difference confronts them. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost what I'm saying here this morning. That feeling confronts them in the presence of righteousness, in the presence of the righteousness of God. I'm not talking about self-righteousness. I'm not talking about holier than thou and goody two-shoes. No, no, no. I'm talking about real righteousness. And all of a sudden the light of righteousness began to turn up and, and she said, I am, I've been forced out into the sun. This is the, my siblings made a decision and forced me hard work and labor. Somebody else wrote that check. Somebody else decided my destiny. And I come into your presence and I see your beauty and I see the chariots and I see something different and I want to know how do I get from where I am to where you are. Oh my goodness, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Oh Jesus. How can I correct the the scarred mistakes in my past? How can I turn this around? Now I would readily agree that they need to encounter the truth of God's word. I understand that. I understand that that someone that's lost can't be saved by the programs of the church or they can't be saved by someone else's experience. They have to encounter the truth of God's word and And they need someone to systematically take them through the word of God and teach them the plan of salvation. And and they certainly need continued teaching and preaching from the pulpit. But you see, this is not where it ends. And I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, with me. Because if this was where it ends, then that means that everything in the life of a sinner would begin and end right here. Right here. That the pulpit, so to speak, would be the hinge point. The pivot point. I'm not negating any responsibility that I or any other minister or pastor would have as a shepherd leader But there's more to this than what happens behind this sacred desk. There's some real responsibilities. I want you to get ready now because I'm coming after you. There's some real responsibilities that lie with this desk. I would never walk to this desk without prayer and preparation. Never. I'm not boasting. I'd be scared to do that. I would never want to come to this desk without some things resolved in my life. But you see, there's some real responsibilities that's placed in Scripture on the shoulders of the church. 
And what the modern church world has tried to do is turn church into a place of entertainment. And I, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being very serious. That you kind of come in as the audience and all this is the performers. And so that's why people feel so free to judge the performance. Well, I don't think they got that song just right. Well, I don't think those harmony parts are just what they should have been. I think I heard a little somebody off. Well, that wasn't my favorite text. That wasn't my favorite preacher. And I've heard him do better than that in the past. We kind of come in with our little notebook, clipboard. If you think you're the audience and we're the performers, you got a right to do that if that's what you think. But if that's what you think, you're wrong. Because as much weight and responsibility as there is to stand here, there's also weight and responsibility to stand there. Amen. I feel what I'm saying in the Holy Ghost today. Amen. In case you're wondering, I didn't get up on the wrong side of the bed. She can vouch for that. There's weight and responsibility. And I want us to go back to verse number 8 and find that. It is from here that I want to underline the responsibility that rests right here on the pews for us of this church. Solomon 8, 1 and 8 rather. She is asked the question, where do you feed? Where do you water? Where do you rest the sheep? And he said, if thou know not, O fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. Now I can appreciate you not running right there. But he said, if you don't know what to do, then find that worn path and go by the way of the flock. Follow them. You see where they're going? They know where to lay down. That old, that old bushy path over there, that overgrown path, I wouldn't go down that path. It must not be nobody finding rest down there. You see that overgrown path over there? I wouldn't go down there. They may not be finding water there, but there's an old path. You see that old path? Amen. Go the way of the footsteps of the flock. Now, over the years, I've had a lot of things said to me, and many times I've had people say, if you ever need me for anything at any reason, I just want you to know I'm being available for you. Well, I'm, I'm coming after you today. Amen. I need you this morning. Because when we have new people that come to this church, I cannot possibly watch and care for every need. I can't do that by myself. I can't handle it all from behind this desk in a couple of minutes. We can't handle it with a few songs. So I need a congregation. Every church, every pastor could preach this message this morning. Amen, I'm just the one preaching it today. Amen, I need somebody in this congregation that all I need to do, all I have to do, when somebody says, I'm just trying to figure out how to keep my family together. I'm trying to figure out how to get free from sin and stay free from sin. I'm trying to figure out how can I be faithful to the house of God? How can I be faithful to prayer? How can I be a worshiper? Well, here's what I need. Amen, I need to be able to look at them and just say, well, you see that well-worn path over there? 
You see these worshipers up here. You want to know how to worship? Amen. Just follow them. Just get out of your pew. Amen. You want to know how to be a better worshiper? Just just set down everything and leave your pew and come down to the front and get beside some worshipers. Amen. He said to the, he said to them. He said feed your kids beside the shepherd's tent. If you want to know how to pray, amen, find somebody that's praying and just go kneel down. Amen, I need as a pastor, I need to be able to say when somebody says, I just don't know how to do this, I need to know there's somebody in this church that's living right and walking right and doing the right thing and I'll say, you know what you need to do? You just need to go find old brother so-and-so. You need to go find sister so-and-so. Amen, you know this family? Well, I'll tell you what, you just start following that family and you walk and you do what they do and when they pray you pray and when they worship you worship are you hearing me today amen we need young people that are living right not just at church but living right every day and then when other young people are wondering how can I come out of this rock how can I get out of this cave how can I I can just say hey you just go follow set your tent up by the shepherd's tent you set your tent up by their tent amen they'll show you how to pray they'll teach you how not with a Bible study, not with a chart, but with their life, with their life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, 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 amen. I got the right person cheering me on over here in the... Amen. I'm going to tell you, we need the word of God. We need the word of God to prick our heart and help us to realize this is not just about me and my four being saved, but somebody's watching me walk. Somebody's watching me worship. Somebody's watching me pray. Somebody's watching me respond. Amen. I'm going to tell you, my sermon title this morning was this. It's a plea. Somebody lead the way. Somebody lead the way. Don't make every pastor do it alone. Don't make every minister in our church do it alone. Don't make our musicians do it alone. Don't make our praise singers do it alone. But I'm asking everybody in the pew, somebody, I'm pleading with you today, somebody, please lead the way. Somebody lead the way. Hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.